0: So hey there, welcome back to Accelerated Investor. Um, And before I introduce today's show, I just wanted to reach out and tell you just how uh, grateful I am for you, for listening to the show, participating in the show, leaving all the ratings and reviews that you've left, the comments and questions that have come in. It's really a blessing for me to jump on and just kind of share my life and my investments and my friends and my different connections with you. It really gives me a lot of energy to share this and uh, you know we've been running the show for a long time we've had amazing guests uh, but it's really about you the listener and you know the things that we can share with you to impact and improve your life um, so just want to say thanks I wanted to say thanks for being here otherwise I would when I do these recordings I would just be talking to myself <laughs> so anyway today's guest is um, is a fantastic guest uh, the interview with him was really fun for me. His name is Marcin Drotst. Um, He's the managing partner of M1 Real Capital, uh, where his team focuses on multifamily, specifically value add multifamily properties throughout the Southeast. Uh, they've acquired 1,500 units across the United States. And today we're going to talk specifically number one, about the right mindset to attract millions of dollars of capital to your next project. And we're going to talk about number two, what we call the B do have philosophy. You're going to love that. You're also going to learn about the factors, the six factors that will make you and your project stand out. And we specifically talk about Marson's factors that he uses to you know, create equity and raise money into his fund and the different factors that I use that I hang my hat on with my investments. And we're also going to talk about this concept number three, about what you want, you need to give away. This is really, really good stuff today, guys. Specifically about the mindset to attract millions of dollars of capital to your next project, and a little bit about the structure to attract high net worth investors. But you're going to love this. Marson and I have a lot of experience doing this. So I think you'll enjoy this interview as we ham and egg it back and forth. Here we go. So, hey, Marcin, listen, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast and talk about raising capital, deploying capital, and just being an aggressive equity raiser for commercial deals. Thanks so much for joining me today on Accelerated Investor.
1: Yeah, thank you, Josh. I uh, really, really appreciate the opportunity. Looking forward to getting into it. I uh, spent a fair bit of time reading your bio and you've raised a fair bit of money. So I, I I'm really excited for this conversation. It's really cool. Yeah, me too. So, listen, I, I'm always
0: curious. You know, when I meet somebody new and we're having a new conversation, I'm always curious what they're up to like today. That kind of gets them going, right? Like being an entrepreneur and running a business is really all about passion. Right, waking up and being excited for life and excited about yeah. what you're doing. And there's definitely days that are easier than others, and some days we're super excited. Some days are really down. But usually, there's a project that you're, you know, somebody's working on that kind of gets them going. So, what are you passionate about today?
1: Sure. So I, I mean, for me, you know, the day to day is always buying apartment buildings. So I've got a few things in Texas right now, I got a PSA signed back on 120 units. And I got another LOI that'll probably turn to a PSA, it's about the same size. So that that I mean, that's kind of standard fare for us. But what I'm If I have to think about what I'm really excited about right now, it's when COVID first hit, I put together some materials to help people learn how to actually structure and scale their capital raising business. And that's worked out really, really well. So, you know, we're in the middle of a mastermind training right now. And the more I do that, the more, you know, I, I, again, I look at what you've done over the last few years, watching people just grow and have that light bulb moment turn on is, is fantastic. I think that's been my passion project of like.
0: Nice. That's fantastic. So when you're raising capital, especially Mm -hmm. in today's market, we're obviously in an inflationary market. We're in an interest rate rising market. The Federal Reserve is going to come out next week as we record this and probably make a three-quarter or even a one-point bump in those rates, which I honestly feel like it's already baked in to a lot of the debt. It's already Mm -hmm. baked into... What are you seeing or what adjustments have you had to make in the past three to six months? And what adjustments do you think you'll continue to make uh, to be flexible, to be nimble in this kind of market?
1: You know, Josh, it's crazy. Not even six months ago, I was told I was best and final on a deal in Jack's, uh, Florida, there. And I asked the broker how many people are best and final. He told me 11. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Today, yeah, that's not, that's not, I'm like, dude, this isn't storage wars. Like, this is like, call it what it is. You're trying to run an auction and just call it something else. Yeah. Uh, those things aren't happening anymore. So, you know, it, it, the market's still active. We're still writing, but, you know, I, Best way to summarize it is we're setting better expectations, uh, both on the equity side with our equity investors to let them know that the uh, IRR that they may or may not have seen over the last couple of years is not something that is going to be sustainable into the future because it's just math. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. If it happens, fantastic. But you definitely have to have those expectations reset on your equity side with your investors or partners. And then on the other side is setting better better expectations with sellers and underwriting like we start we were underwriting in the five six months ago on the interest rate we're underwriting in the sevens now so you know and that continues to push back push down on, uh, on pricing, I think sellers are seeing it because I'll tell you what, a brokers, uh, realtors that weren't calling me six months ago, they weren't calling me back. Today, they're texting, they're sending smoke signals, they got carrier pigeons coming to my house. So you know you could tell that they, they, they now need to do their job again. It's, we're not all lined up anymore, right? So the best way to put it is just, just setting better expectations on both sides.
0: Yeah, how much, how much has on the deals that you're gonna acquire, how important do you think it is now to lock in debt for the long term? You know, yeah. with some guys that were just buying on bridge, buying with floaters.
1: You I'm know, and I, I'm just as curious to hear your opinion on this too, Josh, because I, I got a little bit of a, a decision to make right now on this on this last PSA is, do you go fix P&I right out of the gate and then fund CapEx with cash? Or do you risk it? Do you bridge for 12, 24 months? And then fund your capex, do interest only, and then finance. Right, so I don't know if I've made up my mind just yet. To be honest with you, but I, I guess I'm curious to see what what uh, what you know. Ask me again in 30 days.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can tell you. For us, we're definitely considering more bank financing. Yeah because it's, it's kind of the the, the the easy blended middle between bridge and long-term. Yeah. The difference is obviously, as you know, is with bank, you got to sometimes do some sort of personal guarantee, right? Mm-hmm. Or a partial guarantee or full guarantee of the, of, of the debt. Mm-hmm. So because we want to do a lower loan to value, we just are not really afraid at all of that personal guarantee because the amount of debt that we're putting on this deal is so low compared to the purchase price and compared to the future value Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't scare me that much. So for, for we're starting to take a look at more bank debt because we can lock in bank deals for five, seven years. Mm-hmm. I'm still getting those, you know, interest rate quotes right now at five, five and a quarter. Yeah. Uh, cost of money, two years I.O., you know, with some um, you know, rehab Cat-hugs. dollars baked into there. Okay. So it's a nice mix, but the trade-off, as you know, is is yeah. some sort of personal guarantee. So yeah. you got to get comfortable with that. Got to make sure that your loan to value is low enough that 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 personal guarantee that risk is so low, it's just not a, it's not really an issue, right? It's just not something that we really even care about. Uh, but it's allowing us to get that longer term debt that we want with some some IO for the first year or two. It's just hard to go bridge right now, man. With a year or two, I mean, where are interest rates going to be? I don't know. I'm betting right. that four years from now, if we refire or sell some of these assets, that interest rates are going to go up. And then four years from now, they're going to be settled back down. Not back down to where they were six months ago, but they'll be back down to where they are today. Somewhere around five, five and a half, six 6% uh, yeah. long-term debt. And they might go up to eight or nine in the in the middle, right? Okay. Sometime in the next two years or seven, like you talked about, they might go way up. But I think they're going to settle back down. There's just too much appetite for both on debt and equity for apartments, in my opinion. Yeah. So that's that's what we're investing on.
1: Yeah, you know, I, what you say makes a ton of sense, and I, I've got a few different quotes uh, from our guys exactly for that reason. And like you said, you got the long-term fixed piece for you know uh, F- Freddie Fanny, and that that comes with its own benefits and, and, and drawbacks. But that bank piece seems to be that hybrid, right, right down the middle, right. So and and, and maybe maybe in fact that is the right move. I, I guess what I'm curious to see, and this is probably a conversation that goes. You know, can go on for as long as we want. But when they raise the rates, pardon me, when they drop the rates back down eventually, whether it's in six months or two years, if they don't get a grip on inflation first, what's that going to do, right? Because the government can say the rate is whatever they want, but right. the private lenders are going to be saying like, eh, CPI is still seven. We don't care. far is still 550 plus, right? So uh, that guess, I guess, is as good as anybody else's, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, listen, let's talk about raising money. You've stood sure. up and raised well into the nine figures in some of your past, you know, seats that you were sitting in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've stood up a hundred million dollar fund and raised money for that. Like you said, you're right now working on these acquisitions: a hundred units here, two hundred units there, and just continuing to raise money for those. First of all, let me ask you about your mindset when you're raising money. And I want, I want to tell you this little story first, and then I want to hear your, your side of it. I had a friend of mine tell me years ago, his name was Francis Abolola, still a good friend of mine. And Francis said to me, he said, Josh, look, when you're in sales and raising money to some degree is sales, he said, look, if, if you have something that you are so convinced of that's going to benefit somebody else, you have a moral obligation to sell it to them. Mm-hmm. And that became my mindset for raising capital. I just thought that other investors' money was better off in my apartment buildings or my private equity fund than the stock market or with another investor. So I was convinced it was better. So I felt, based on Francis's advice, I had a moral obligation to present it to them. That's where my passion for capital comes from. Where does your passion for capital come from?
1: You know, I, I like how you phrased that question because so many people think it's like a tip or a trick or like, here's an email sequence or whatever it is, but it goes so much deeper than that. It really is a mindset piece. And for for me, the best way I've ever heard it articulated and, and I've internalized it since then is I went to an event with Robert Kiyosaki 15 years ago and he stood up on stage and he said something called uh, be, do, have. Now he didn't pioneer that concept, but that, that, that concept really, was instilled in me over the years. And the best way I've learned to to uh, discuss it is in the form of the three types of people that are out there. So you got what's called the, the victim, the worker, and the winner. And the victim is the person that, that thinks in terms of have, do, and be. So in other words, they say to themselves, Oh, well, it's so simple for Josh or Marston to say X, Y, Z, because look at all the things they have. And if I had those things, then I could do the things that they're doing and then I could be happy. So they put the having first and then they they put themselves in this victim mentality where it's like, look, I understand you want the more things you have to start is great in terms of moving forward. But if you just say to yourself, well, I don't have this, I don't have the context, I don't know the people, I don't, then you're immediately the victim. Now that's one. The other one, and the people that are probably on your podcast and your friends and colleagues are, are probably they're, they're not victims. they're listening to you, they're taking action, but they might be in the second category, which is worker. And the worker is the person that thinks in terms of do be have. So in other words, part of me do have be. So they think to themselves, I gotta do all this. I gotta go make that sale. I gotta go do this. like it's tactical. It's like they have to do something right then and there to, get something to get a result, to have a result. And then once they get the result then they allow themselves to be happy or be chill or be on vacation or be present with their family or whatever it is. Whereas somebody like yourself or Mark Cuban, myself is you're always thinking about who do you need to become to be able to do the things that need to happen for you to get the result. So, I'm always thinking about it in the context of when somebody who I admire or somebody I aspire to become like, I think to myself, you know, what are the thoughts that go through his mind or her mind? What are the things that they focus on? What are the things that just rub flow off them like water, like a water off a duck's back? What are the things that they're, you know, focused on within their business or their family or their relationships? What are the thoughts? Because that's what become. That's how you can become the things that, that you want to focus on. So, you know, once you do that, the doing becomes self-evident and the having is a result of all of it, right? I mean, guys like you and I, if we're talking to somebody who hasn't even bought a duplex and you're saying, yeah, look, we're just reviewing the 200 unit building right now. Their mind, you can just see it just, boom, mm-hmm. just exploding because they can't put themselves in the position of becoming that person. So, you know the mindset piece is the biggest part, and the fastest way to collapse that time frame is to either uh, invest, work with, or surround yourself with the people that are already operating at that level. Like it's basic. You know, the next goal for me on a personal level is my fitness. So I'm ascribing with some people. I've, uh, I've retained some people to work with me personally that are you know make me feel <laughs> like I'm standing still in the context of my physical fitness. So I think to myself, oh, I'm in good shape. I hang out with these guys. You know, I'm a piece of, you know, (laughs) fill in the blank, right? Okay, I got to get off my ass. And then it's a new level for me to aspire to, right?
0: That's really fantastic stuff. So your idea of victim worker winner comes with thought first. What do I need to think of? How do I need to think? So that I can become a certain person that then in, in our world of raising capital, is very simple for us to attract capital, attract investors, whether it comes through a funnel, whether it comes through a referral, whether it comes from a speaking engagement, whatever, you feel like your thoughts are attracting these dollars, right? The mindset for attracting money is what we just described. Now, let's talk about the tactical way to get more people in front of us or us in front of more people. What are some different things that you've done, whether it's a funnel you've built or a book that you've written? What are some tactical things to do once our mindset's right to just be in front of more private investors?
1: Sure, sure. So just just one more thing to wrap up that last thought, because I I think it's important. So in the context, I don't want to leave it like it's fluffy, like think about it, and it'll happen. But the thinking about it, the thinking about it piece is really important, because think think about it in this context, the Josh from 20 years ago, did he do the deals he's doing today? No, of course not. Because you might have looked at a deal and said, holy heck, how am I going to do this $10 million raise or $100 million raise or whatever it is, but that was a deal. So, and maybe at that time yourself or me or whatever it was, you could have looked at the same situation and said, you know what? That's a great deal. I'm not there yet, but who do I need to become to be able to marshal a million or $5 million together? What skills am I missing? What teammates am I missing? And those are empowering thoughts as opposed to limiting thoughts like, oh, that deal's too big for me. I can't do it. Forget about it. I'll go back to flipping another duplex. And that makes it real because you, you have an honest discussion with yourself about what you're missing. Either strategically, tactically, you know, from personal financial perspective, from your investor, from your networks, like what am I missing to get to that next piece? That's that becoming part. Now, as far as tactically, I think the thing that I've done the best over the last sixteen plus years is the things I want I give away. So, in other words, if I want to attract capital, if I want to attract great investors, I create an environment where. Other people can plug in and actually just effectively take the things that I'm looking for from me with no expectations. So in other words, so many people think that whatever they know, they just got to, they got to hold on to it. They got to guard it. It's like, it's so proprietary. Look, wow. any, any anything that I can teach, I teach for free. Yes, we have paid things and paid programs, but the irony is the more you give away, especially if you have that abundance mentality, the more you give, the more you share, The world just, especially when you add so much value to someone's world, that they just feel compelled, like absolutely compelled to engage with you, to partner with you, to work with you, to invest with you, to work for you, to volunteer for you, because you have no expectation of them. You're just, you know, it's that uh, there's a, a, you know, leave an environment better than you found it. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that through like yourself, you take the time and the care to find good guests for your podcast, to, to give value to your network, whether you're doing events speaking engagements, whatever it is, if you're coming from a genuine place of just trying to inform and not like dangle a little bit of information and then tuck everything else away behind a paid wall and say, okay, so now I need you to give me X to get Y. As long as you come from that abundance mentality, I, I can't describe it. You will attract people well beyond your imagination. It's, yeah. it's and with YouTube today and podcasts and what you're doing, it's the world is my God. Fantastic stuff. So The interesting thing, like the
0: marketer in me, the Dan Kennedy marketer. Mm -hmm. We all know Dan Kennedy was fantastic Mm -hmm. marketer. The Dan Kennedy marketer would say, give them enough information, but make it useful and incomplete, right? So that they have to buy the next thing. Because Dan was all about selling products and info products and seminars and workshops and home study courses. Mm -hmm. I used to do that right years ago. And I've sold over 50 million dollars of info products and seminars and everything I just described over my lifetime. But a couple of years ago, when I got into multifamily and still was also doing the info thing, Mm -hmm. I was like, this is really my passion was in doing more multifamily deals. And Mm -hmm. I realized, look, the info game really never had an exit. There was nobody was ever gonna buy that business. So I just got rid of it. I just stopped doing it. I went from selling five to eight million a year of info products to literally just running a mastermind group because, wow. Marston, exactly what you just described. Wow. I could basically give away everything and right, right. put together an ecosystem of people that cared about each other, that wanted to help each other, that wanted to give, 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 give. I do get paid for that mastermind group because I'm just putting my time and energy into creating the ecosystem. But now there's no, hey, hey, buy this little thing for $49 and then there's this yeah. massive upsell because the $49 thing was useful, but it was incomplete. Right Now it, it's a totally different mindset. And now I've seen this over the past five years of just raising capital. It's just It just seems to come literally. They get referred all the time. People are coming to our website all the time. There's all this different stuff because of that mindset shift that you just described. I went through that in my own life. And many people will say, well, if I just give, 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 when am I ever guaranteed to get anything back, right? So when somebody said that to you, Marcin, how would you respond? If I just give all the time and man, I've been given for two months, three months, I'm impatient, I need a paycheck, I need to raise money now, when am I going to get something in return?
1: right? (laughs) Well, the best way I had it explained to me, and I I forget the source, but whatever you want, give it away first. So if you want love, give love. If you want, you know, if you want to start a fight with someone, give hate. Like if if you want generosity, be generous. If you want, you know, like be, be the person, like it sounds so frou-frou and yeah, I know how it sounds, but I've been living it for about 16 years and ultimately what you give, you will get back. And the irony is you may not get it from the person you give it to. And that's fine. You know, cheap people don't understand loyalty. And that's something that a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their heads around is that there's certain types of people that deserve your time, deserve your energy, deserve your attention, your love, your passion, whatever it is. And there's certain people as you go through the process that you'll learn that they're just takers. And those people will naturally just fall off, as I've found over that period of time. So, you know, ultimately, I I can tell you that, Today, with the internet, online, everything, the, the world is so small. And you know, I'll give you an example. I had somebody comment on one of my videos. Um, one of my team just texted me back. Apparently, they have $3 million to put into a building. They're worth 20. I, you can't make this stuff up. These people just appear, right? And I mean, we only work with accredited investors anyway. And it's it, it's amazing. The world, the the, you know, people of uh, quality, people of substance, look for the people that they can rely on, they can trust. And if you're open and you're trans, how you do anything is how you do everything. And the way you conduct your seminars and your podcast, kind of people you have on, you attract a certain type of personality. You're not going to attract the person that's going to fight with you over five hundred dollars as a refund for you know a weekend event that you spend tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on you're gonna get somebody who can meaningfully drive the business forward, right? So anybody comes along that asks, you know, anybody creates static, anybody wants a refund, whatever it is, I say, here you go, God bless, uh, move on. I I just, I, I don't have time. Like I've got too much positive stuff in my world.
0: Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. I love it. Fantastic stuff. Now, Marcia, listen, with all the deals that you've done, all the capital that you've raised, what are some things that you think make your project stand out? What are some specific factors that you think, hey, if if, if my, my my deal has these couple of bullets or these couple factors, what are some of those factors that you think have to be baked into a deal to attract investors and get them to commit?
1: So I, I can answer your question, Josh, a little broadly, because we don't do deal by deal anymore. We just do funds. And the reason why we do funds is because, as you probably know, you have a lot more cash. You can make all cash. You can make more compelling offers because you can show cash as opposed to, you know, hold on a sec. Here's my deposit. I'm going to run around and, you know, go get the money. Right. So, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's in some ways, it's simpler and maybe less complicated, but we we do, we do a fund approach and, For me, the conversation is to not really spend as much time on the deal, but the the content of a deal, but the context of what I'm doing. So in other words, we're more interested in describing the market, the investment thesis, the types of buildings, the buildings we've done, the features of assets that we're looking for, examples of situations where that's worked in the past and saying, you know, do you like this concept? If the answer is yes, Okay, great. So we're going to continue to do this with these other projects. Here's the timeline. So it's it's less of a hey, here's this specific deal, you know, buy into this one. And it's more of a here's why this deal fit into this fund, for example, that was packaged in accordance with the thesis here, right? So it it, it makes a lot more sense. And the best way to edify that, so for example, everybody talks value add, value add, value add. We're going to do renovations. We're going to, okay, great. So here's a really simple example of a no-brainer value add. Building I bid on. Owner was taking the quarters from the machines. Never hit the never hit the income statement. Okay, that's twenty grand a year in quarters. That you know, God, God bless. I don't know what he did with those quarters, but it's a lot of quarters. But twenty grand, as you know, is like 400000 dollars in value in the asset. So just by putting that those quarters back on the balance sheet. There you go. There's 400 grand. That's real money. So anybody can understand that, you know, explaining the concept of just leveling out the curb stoppers and repainting the lines and reserved parking. Like people try to explain cap rates all the time. I don't talk about cap rates. I talk about, look, for every dollar in profit that we can create in this property, that's 20 to $25 in profit uh, for every dollar of 20, $25 in value. Now, you and I understand cap rates and how that works, but for somebody who is worth a ton of money, but isn't in the real estate game, they don't care about cap rates. They care about the amounts that it reflects financially. So those are the things I prefer to focus on, you know, rather than talking about, hey, this building is beautiful because of X, Y, Z. Tell me what corner, what street it's on, how many cars drive by per day. Give me things that even I, as a layperson that don't know much about real estate can go, you know what? That makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, love so it. it's contextual, right? Like don't bury me in vacancy rates and sensitivity. Like if I want to read that stuff, I'll ask you for it. But most people just want to understand high level, how it makes sense.
0: Yep. I agree. I, and I think you have to have, like I said, an investment thesis or a mm-hmm. strategy. Most people think, well, I just buy multifamily, I buy value at apartments. Like that's not a strategy, right? Because that could be interpreted 5,000 ways. Mm-hmm. For us, what we've done is when COVID hit, we decided to bring all of our investments home in our backyard. So we're in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. We have investments in Houston, Texas. We have seven hundred units down there. We have we had over two thousand units outside of Atlanta. We've sold a lot of those off. We've got about a thousand left, and we have over fourteen hundred units in Cleveland, in our backyard. Wow! Because We made our strategy, like our high level contextual, like you mentioned, strategy Mm -hmm. to really focus on B class suburban apartments, 1960s to 1990s vintage that needed heavy new construction, meaning we were going to do hard turns of all the units, like 7,000 to 10,000, 11,000 a unit. And we hung our hat on our construction company. Okay. And we're freaking killing it with that. So Mm -hmm. that's the difference between just saying, I'm a value-add multifamily investor versus what I just described and where you're going to hang your hat, right? And what Marston's done is basically saying, I'm going to put together a fund that he might say, okay, we're only going to buy suburban B-class. We're going to buy in these markets because of these different, maybe it's rent growth, maybe it's population growth, population migration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now his investors don't really care about the actual building that they put in the fund, they care that the building just matches the criteria that he described. Okay. So Marcin, for you, what are some of the factors or the context of your fund? Specifically, you're not like pitching our group, even though you could pitch our group if they're, if they're uh, accredited, which I'm happy to, happy to do. But what are some of the factors for the deals you're looking at to put in your fund?
1: Sure. So on a macro basis, there's three. I mean, obviously, net migration, you said it there, industry, the types of industries that are uh, relevant. And you know, if we're in a recession or going into a recession, that one's definitely very important now because you don't want to be exposed to hospitality or tourism as a primary industry for a for space. And then the third one, which I find fairly overlooked, uh, we categorize it as transportation. So in other words, transportation, talk to me about the seaports, the waterways, the major highways. Is your town on the way or is it out of the way? and that's that that's a really important basic tenant and you know if you look at uh again the whole recession thing on the horizon if that in fact is a reality logistics companies places like Jacksonville, Florida, they got the second deepest uh, deep water port in North America next to the one up in New York. All the stuff from Panama, like the Panama Canal goes up through there and then they have the infrastructure, the roads. Memphis, they got FedEx, Global World headquarters. You got the massive airports there. So, you know, Texas, you got the Texas Triangle and there's it's the ninth biggest economy in the world. So, the transportation hub is really the uh the artery that that pumps the blood through the economy cuz You know, short of us teleporting each other, (laughs) we're still going to need roads. And, you know, maybe 50 years, who knows, right? But for now, that's not an option. So train, rail, uh, transport. So those are the macro. On a micro level, you know, we look at MSAs, typically half a million or more. Uh, that fit into the three macros. Uh, we look at assets that we can acquire typically for half of what they cost to build, replacement cost. That used to just be kind of a byproduct of everything else. But now with inflation and when you guys see it with construction, the cost of everything, replacement cost is another marker of 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 value now because replacing that building is not the same discussion it was thirty six months ago as it is today. So replacement cost is a marker. Obviously, you know, class B, class C, 60s, 70s, 80s vintage, that kind of stuff, 90s if we can find it. And um yeah, I mean, as long as it fits into the macro, into the micro, those are those are some of the broader parameters that we look for, right? Also, we look for we look at GRMs as an initial discussion. So gross rent multiples, right? So, you know, if we, we look for gross rent multiples of less than 10. Uh, That's important. Uh, Our investors understand that better than cap rates, by the way, because it's more practical, especially for investors that are coming from New York or California. They're like, what does that mean? And you're like, well, if you get three grand a month rent and you spend a million dollars for it, that's $36,000 a year in rent. You have to multiply that thirty six thousand by twenty seven to get a million. Whereas, if you and I buy an apartment, let's just say in Cincinnati or down in Texas for sixty grand, and we get a thousand a month rent, that's twelve thousand. Twelve thousand into sixty is only five times. So, easily, it's like I, we're oversimplifying because there's expenses and there's operating costs. But you know, anybody can understand five years of rents buys this, whereas twenty five years of rents buys this.
0: Love it. Love it. Love the comparison. That's great stuff. As we kind of around third here and head for home to wrap up the interview, I, just a couple questions. Raising capital is something that if you have a passion for it, really good at it, it's really fun, but can be scary when you first do it. So what was it like for you when you first got going? and How did you know that this was going to be a passion of yours? What were some of the early challenges when you started raising
1: money for the first time? Josh, I see it more as that you have to see it for something bigger than just the binary activity that it is. For me, I always pictured it as being part of building a company or furthering the cause. So that skill set, by the way, whether you're raising money for your real estate, for your charity, whatever it is, it is as long as you understand and you tie it to something bigger than just the arbitrary this for this, and you just consider it a trading relationship – that's tough. But if you look at it as a bigger cause, so for us, for me in, in early days, I always saw it as me helping build a business. Initially, it wasn't my business, but the business of... I was in the business of helping build an investing company. We were buying a private equity firm. We were buying apartment buildings, things like this. And since then, for, for myself and for our own account, that's exactly what it is. So if you attach the activity to a greater goal... And you don't just see it as a binary, you know, this for this, it will get you past the tough stuff because look, capital raising, there's a reason why it uh, pays to know how to raise capital. Uh, the biggest companies in the world are capital raising companies, Blackstone, KKR, uh, Fortress uh, Investment Management out of New York Apollo. These are billions, of billions of dollars of entities, and and they own some of the biggest companies in the world. And, it, it, you know, why? It's because they can raise more money than anyone else. So he who has the gold makes the rules. And as the CEO of your own company, your your destiny, your life, if you can harness that skill set, you're prepared, you're you're ready. And it's tough. So as long as you tie it to something bigger, then it becomes it's just it's just another thing you have to learn.
0: Yeah, I love it. Uh well, listen, Marson, listen, I really enjoyed having you on the show today. I know our listeners can reach out on your website. Uh, Marcindroz.com, M-A-R-C-I-N-D-R-O-Z-D-Z.com. We'll put that in the show notes. That's and right. And then M1RealCapital.com. Any place else that our group should go if they want to engage with you, invest with you, learn more from you?
1: You know, the website's the best place because there's tons of free resources there. Uh, if people want to see the uh, the real estate side of the business, M One Real Capital is fantastic. And I, I, you know, Josh, I really appreciated the, the the way you framed the interview because most people just focus on the binary, do this to do this, but you really dug into the, you know, how things actually work so people can take action with it. So I appreciate that.
0: Absolutely. Well, thanks, Len, for carving out some time and joining me today on Accelerated Investor. Perfect. Thank you. Well, guys, there you have it. There's no topic in this industry that I get more excited for than raising money. Because as Marson said, he who has the gold makes the rules. But not only that, but I think he who has the gold and has the mindset to raise capital and take care of other people's money really is able to set themselves up for financial independence. That's what we've done. That's what Marston's done. That's what I've done. And that's what's most important to me when I do this training these these episodes, this podcast for you is to give you the tools and the mindset and the and, and the different shifts that you need to make in order for you to have financial independence. That's really what this is all about. Okay. So sometimes this is very tactical. Sometimes it's more mindset. It's more about the way you're looking at your business. Today was a lot more about the way to look at your business and look at yourself and look at your passions. It's really fun to do an episode like this because it gives me energy. And so I look forward to sharing more episodes like this with you. Uh, we talked a little bit today about coaching and mastermind, um, about you know the different things that we do in that. You can definitely check it out. You can apply to be in our mastermind program. You can go to freelandadventures.com and then click on in the upper right-hand corner, click on the mastermind tab and apply. You can also go to joshcantwellcoaching.com. Again, that's kind of reserved for intermediate to advanced investors um, who are really looking to continue to scale up their apartment and their forever passive income portfolio. Thank you so much for being here today, guys. Listen, I love it. Thanks for letting me share. We'll see you next time. You were just listening to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, help us build the AI community by leaving a review and five-star rating on our iTunes podcast channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. To see passive investing opportunities, visit freelandventures.com passive. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of with multifamily apartments, apply for one-on-one coaching with Josh at www.joshcantwellcoaching.com